How many days do you think it takes for you to develop a new habit? You know, conventional wisdom always said it took 21 days. Anybody heard that before, 21 days? What's interesting about that idea is a lot of us think, well, 21 days, I can suffer for three weeks, right? I can just eat really good for three weeks, go to the gym for three weeks. And if I just do these things for three weeks, then it's just going to take and it's going to become a habit. So the University College of London decided that they wanted to do a little research and, and, and figure out how long does it really take? So they did a year-long study. They did, did a, a 12-month study over the course of that year. They looked at 96 different people, and they, they had them start to try to develop new habits, and they, they analyzed to see how long does it take. So interesting to know that on average, it takes 66 days to build a new habit. And for some, it took nearly a whole year. Now, before you give up on whatever that new resolution was that you wanted to have this year, before you give up on trying to develop a new healthy habit, I want to ask a question. Because 66 days feels like a long time, right? Over two months. It feels kind of hard to, to grasp, to try to suffer through something. But what I want to challenge you is maybe what we need in our life isn't to develop a new habit yet, but what we need is to develop a new routine. See, I think there's a, there's a difference between a habit and a, and a routine. And I, I think the more we understand these things, the better it'll help us to realize what it is we truly need this year to become a year that we grow as people, as parents, as, as workers, as bosses, and as believers. You, you know, it, it is really interesting. If you think about what's the difference between a habit and a routine, a habit is something that we do with little thought. Like a habit is just, you're on autopilot. Let me ask you, how many of you, one of the first things you do, maybe the first thing you do in the morning is you wake up and you turn on the coffee pot, right? You wake up, you get the coffee going, you get fire up that little espresso machine. How, how many of you brush your teeth after you eat breakfast? How many of you brush your teeth before you eat breakfast? You really should brush again. <laughs> I'm a before breakfast guy. How many of you don't brush your teeth at all? Don't answer that question. <laughs> at least, you know, the person next to you, don't look around. But we all have these habits, right? We, we, these things we do that are autopilot that we don't even think about, but a routine is different. So uh, a routine is, is something that, that is um, frequent and intentional, and it's a behavior that's repeated. A r- routine is, is basically a, a regular um, set of actions that have to take place before you can build a habit. So the reality is you cannot build a new habit unless you develop that routine first. So I think of us, a lot of times we get discouraged when we say, I need to build a new habit. I need to stop this bad habit. I need to build this new habit. And then all of a sudden we get frustrated because we hit a wall and we give up and we say, I just can't do it. The reality is that we tried to do it the wrong way. And I think one of the reasons is we live in a microwave culture. We, we, we live in a world where we can get most of everything we want, a snap of a finger or a click of a button on our phones. And so we live in this culture where we want stuff now. We want that silver bullet now. We want that quick fix or that thing. What's that next thing? Because everything, every Facebook, Instagram ad, every person you talk to has that thing that's going to change it for you. It's going to change your life. And so we live in this culture where we just follow trends all the time. 
thinking, well, what? One of these things is finally going to change it for me. A couple months ago, we asked the girls what they wanted for Christmas. And Emma said, oh, I want a basketball goal. Chloe, you know, she wanted Legos. Hallie, she wanted a Stanley Cup. And I got excited. I was like, my girl is getting into hockey, right? I'm like, literally, this is what I thought. I'm like, she wants one of those little mini Stanley Cups, right? Like, that is going to be great. And so then I ask her, and I show her a picture, and she's like, no, Dad, what I really want is a Stanley Cup. And I thought, my grandpa had a Stanley Thermos. They're like, are they cool again, right? But isn't that our culture, right? Like I went, into, I went into our kitchen and I opened up our cupboard with all of our cups and there were Yeti tumblers, right? There were Stanley thermoses. There was whatever it was before Yeti, the little mystic brand, right? And now there's, sta- this thing won't even fit. You guys know that? Like it doesn't even fit in the cabinet. You gotta like build a box to set this thing in on the counter. It's, it's ridiculous actually. But hey, it's got, People that don't drink water, drinking water, because it looks cool, right? Because that's what it's all about. But I mean, we live in this culture, right? And, and, and there's always something new that is promising us, right? It was Beyonce, and now it's Taylor Swift. It was the keto diet, and now it's the Mediterranean diet, right? It was Pilates, then it was CrossFit, now it's the home gym, right? There's always something. And we're always like, man, once I get that thing, it's going to finally be it. And so we keep moving from one thing to another, back and forth. And the reality is we're always trying to capture, and I think the, thing, the same thing happens with our faith. See, with our faith, we do this too. We think, man, I just don't feel like I'm growing in my faith, or maybe I feel stalled, I feel stuck. So what I actually need to do with my faith is I need to get a spark. And so we look at all these things, and a new Bible study comes out, a new Bible translation comes out, that becomes this new app, there's a new YouTube channel. There's a new speaker everybody's talking about. There's this new thing you should try. And we, we try all these things going back and forth, hoping that we can get this spark to get us excited about our faith again or to get us excited about the Bible again. And then after a little bit of time, it becomes a Yeti tumbler in the cabinet. And then pretty soon the Stanley is going to be in the cabinet. And we're all going to be drinking out of Home Depot buckets. <laughs> they call those the manly. That's what, Jim, that's what Jimmy told me, at least. That's the manly. But the reality is with our faith, we do the very same thing. And I, and I, just, I, I just wonder, what if what we need is not to continue to f- try to find that new trendy thing that's gonna draw me in, that's gonna spark my faith. But what if we realize that what God wants for us more than anything is consistency? Because I don't know about you, but it's exhausting trying to go from one thing to the next all the time. Now, I want to encourage you, if you're like me and you're like that, this isn't anything new. This is just the plight of mankind. Ever since mankind fell and sent into the world, this is the reality. In John chapter 6, there's this really cool, there's this really cool kind of series of events. We see John tells us about Jesus, and Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus heals a blind guy. Jesus heals a, a guy who was, you know, stuck by a, a pool for 38 years and was lame. And then it, Jesus goes and feeds 5,000 people. He turns uh, a couple fish sticks and some Hawaiian rolls and enough food 
for 20,000 people. And the people love it. And it says, what Jesus, they, they say to Jesus is that, that they're gonna come make him king by force. They're like, we want what this guy is. This is the new hot thing. We want this. He's gonna feed us and all this other stuff. So we're gonna take him by force to be our king. And we, we see that Jesus slipped out. And that night he walks on the water to his disciples. They go to the other side of the lake. And then the crowd comes. And they're like, Jesus, Jesus, what, 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 give, us, give us more bread. Give us all this stuff. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And Jesus says to them, what, what you need is not more food. What you need is, is me. Well, that didn't sound as cool. That wasn't as trendy. And by the end of John 6, even his disciples are walking away, except for the 12 and a few others. And then if you turn to John 7, it says in John 7, the crowd starts yelling at him and telling him that he's demonic. Now, that's a big change of events, isn't it? What changed? Did Jesus change? Jesus didn't change. The crowd changed. And the same thing happens to us. We think that something's going to spark us, and what we do is we're looking for the thing rather than Jesus. What we really need to do is build routines around Jesus. So how do you do that? So social science, social science has been trying to figure out the ways to build routines. And so this is a common pattern to build a new routine. If you guys are thinking about building a new routine, take a picture of this. But it talks about this. How do we start a new routine? We have to set your intentions. What do I want to do? What, what do I want to be intentional on? Then you need to make a schedule. I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to stop eating sugar. I'm going to get earlier, start jumping on projects earlier so I don't procrastinate, whatever it is. Then you set your goals. You know roadblocks are going to come. And you focus on consistency. So as you start to do these things, you develop a routine that over the course of time turns into a habit. And so what we are doing as we start this new year is we're in a series called Practicing the Way. And what we're asking is, what is it that Jesus tells us is best for us that's going to help us to grow in our faith and learn to follow him better? on our journey and walk of faith. And so we're going to talk about things like last week. We talked about how do we, we start praying, spending time in 21 days of prayer and fasting. How do we take baby steps in to find a rhythm to start praying every day? And today, we're going to continue this journey by talking about what does it look like for us to be rooted in Jesus instead of being thrown back and forth by the waves of culture and the world. And so we're going to land in uh, the very first book or the very first psalm in the book of Psalms. So gra- grab your Bibles. We're going to read the entire psalm. It's pretty short. And then we're going to dig it for gold. We're going to mine it for gold. So notice this, Psalm 1, verse 1. This is a psalm of David. David writes this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
the, the book of Psalms is, is really a, a cool book, and especially this particular psalm, because if you notice, it gives us two contrasts. It gives us the contrast of, uh, of what we see in culture, right, that we just get kind of thrown back and forth by the, the world and by the winds of, of culture and trends versus the, 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 the person, the, the man and the woman that stands firm, that's rooted in God and, and God alone. And so I, I think it shows us this pretty stark contrast between these two. And, and I, and I want to say, if you want to find consistency in your life, and, and if you want to grow in your faith, as you, you look at this text, I, I, I think it, it, it tells us how, and that's by being rooted. Somebody say rooted. Notice verse one. It says this, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The word blessed or blessed in the Old Testament means happy, contented, or straight with God. And, and so what, what David's talking about here is he's talking about a, a character, a characteristic of the godly man or godly woman. And, and the book of Psalms, Psalms you, you see this word blessed used a lot. There's 150 Psalms, 73 times you see the word blessed or, or blessed. And the book of Psalms is a really cool book. Because this was the, actually the, the songbook, the hymnal of the Old Testament church. When they would go into synagogue, they would, they, would, they would sing these songs. They would add music. They had lyres and harps and electric guitars and all kinds of cool things that they would play behind these. They would, they would sing these as they walked to Jerusalem on their pilgrimages. And so the book of Psalms has just a, a beautiful rhyme to it. And in this very first psalm, we see... David focusing us on the, the very important thing we need to do when we start rhythms and routines, and that's root ourselves to God. And so what, what he talks about here is this idea that the man and the woman who is happy, content, or straight with God is someone who is rooted to God. Now, I want you to notice what the, the being blessed, happy, content, or, or straight with God doesn't do. Notice what it says. It says it doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, when you think of the word walk, when you see walk in the Bible, it's this idea of how you live. The word counsel is like the word advice. And so what he's saying is that the, the, the man, the woman who is, who is discontented and unhappy is living in the advice of people that are not following God. So it's culture, it's the world, it's the advice of people that are complaining and nagging and telling you all these other things like follow your heart and do whatever feels good. And those things lead you to a place where you're messy and unhealthy and discontented. And I don't think you have to look far around our culture to see that. I mean, when you walk into, let's say you walk into somewhere where people are sitting around talking, are you hear more praise or more complaint? complaints, right? When you're standing around a water cooler, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. It's more negative most of the time than it is positive. And so I think the advice that the world, or as David calls them here, the wicked gives us is taking us away from what God wants for us. And it leads us to be unhappy, to be discontented, and to not be walking straight with God. And just look around our culture. It's, it, it's, it's messy. Our culture says, be who you want, love who you want, change who you are, and people are unhappy and discontented. There's a reason. And 3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, we were told the reason. 
because we're walking in the wrong advice. But it's not just that. Look back. It says this. Or he says, you know, you walk in the counsel of the wicked. But notice there's a, there's a progression here. It says, or you stand in the way of sinners. The word sin is actually an archery term. Any bow hunters in here? Wow. Got one? All right. We got, we got two. We got two bow hunters. We need some training, right? So it, it's archery term means missing the mark. So we talk about sin. We talk about missing the mark. Whose mark is it? It's God's mark. God tells us what's good for us, what's right for us, what's his blueprint, what's best for us. And when we live in a way that misses that, that's called sin. And so he's talking about standing in the way of sinners. This, this idea is who you spend time with. It's like what your grandma or your mom used to say, right? You are who you hang out with, right? Like you are the collection of the five people you spend the most time with. This is the picture that David gives us, standing in the way of sinners. If you're spending time with people who are living far from God, who are listening to culture, who aren't listening to the word of God, then you're standing in the way of sinners. You see that progression? You go from listening, kind of walking, to standing. Now I'm with them. But it doesn't stop there. Look what he says next. He says, or, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Hey, I want you guys to do your best scoff. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was really good. <sighs> right? Scoffers. Anybody know any scoffers? I <sighs> can't believe they did that. I <sighs> can't believe they played, they went for that on that play on fourth down. Right? <laughs> Every week. Every week. But so scoffers, but here's the idea with scoffers. You've become so comfortable now that you are now sitting down in the collection of the scoffers. Before you were kind of walking in it, listening to the advice. Now you're standing around with the guys talking. Now you are one of them. You're sitting in there and you're scoffing at the the things of God, the things that are good, how other people are missing the mark. And so you are officially progressed to the point of being one of those people yourself. I think what David is telling us here, what God is saying through David is this, that we will never be happy or content if we let culture direct us. If we listen to culture for advice, if the people that are in our ears, in our lives are people that don't know God, that aren't rooted to his word and aren't rooted to him, then they're going to continually tell you all these things that say, sound good, that tickle your ear, but are terrible for you. You're never going to be, you're never truly going to be happy. You're never truly going to be content. And you're never truly going to be able to live the life you're created to live. And I, and I hope you see that, that they call it a retrogression. It's not even a regression. It's a retrogression. You work your way down. And it's this idea that sin is a slow fade. And I know this is a story for a lot of our lives, and it's a story for mine. You know, when I was 15, I felt God calling me to do something. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I felt like at 15 years old, I felt like God was, was stirring me up to move into ministry or to do something. I didn't know what that was, but I, I kind of said, okay, God, well, I'll figure that out someday. But in, in the meantime, I was playing football. I was playing baseball. I, I was really excited about high school. And I got to high school and I started kind of hanging around people that were smoking and drinking all the time. But that was fine. I didn't have to do it. These are just my buddies. But after a little while, these guys who are smoking and getting high all the time, it didn't seem like a problem to me. So then I start trying it just a little bit. The next thing you know, I'm retrograding. I'm not just, I'm not just listening and walking. I'm standing and I'm starting to sit. I quit playing football. I quit playing baseball. 
And for the next decade, I ran from God's call in my life and just did whatever I wanted to do. I was living the double agent life. I went to church on Sundays and pretended I had everything together, put a smile on my face. People said, that's a nice young man. But then the rest of the week, I did whatever I wanted to do. And I felt that tug inside that I was living the double agent life. Thankfully, God continued to chip away at the rough edges between friends and family and a beautiful blonde girl named Courtney. God hit me over the head with a two by four and said, it's time to live the way you were supposed to live. I was unhappy. I was not contented. I was not walking straight with God. I was talking out of one side of my neck and then out of the other. And God tells us what's best for us. Our, his plan for our life is what leads us to contentment and to happiness. And I wonder if you feel like I was or my walk and my talk didn't match. If, if you feel like that right now, the way you live and the things that you do and the feelings you have deep inside, could it be that what God is trying to do is to get your attention, to show you that you are walking or standing or sitting in the wrong places? And that's not his goal or plan for you. So how do we get straight with God? What, what, what does it look like for us to get in a place with God where our relationship is where it needs to be heading? We're not going to be perfect. We're going to have some slip-ups and falls and, and take steps back. But how do we get to a place where we are focused on moving forward, where we can begin to experience that joy, that happiness, and that contentment? Well, David tells us here, notice the rest of verses two and three. He says this, blessed, happy, content, straight with God is the man who his delight is in the law of the Lord, right? He's not, his, his delight is not in the words of the world, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates. Somebody say meditate. He meditates day and night. And he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. Notice that word delight. How many of you have said the word delight recently? Somebody say it right now. Delight. See, you've all said it, right? Delight. The word delight means satisfaction or pleasure. It's actually, the Hebrew word for it is to bent towards. So it's like, you know, you lean towards the things that you love, right? So imagine a tree leaning towards sunlight. So this is idea of delight. It's the picture of someone leaning towards the word of God. And David calls it the law of the Lord. Now he's not talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. That's the law. That's the, the Torah or the Torah. That, that's the, the law of the Old Testament. But when David talks about the law, the same thing you'll see in Psalm 119 is that he's talking about the law of the Lord being the word of God. Any word that God speaks and reveals to us, that is God's law. And so this, David's saying that the, the person who is blessed, happy, content, straight with God is someone who, who, who meditates daily on God's word meaning the Bible. So one of the questions I want to ask you, it's kind of a check under the hood question. When, when you see this book, when you think of the Bible, what emotions stir up in you? Is it excitement? Is it dread? Is it apathy? Is it a desire to, to open it and to read it? Is it kind of indifference? And when you think of God's word, what do you actually think of when you think of it? David says the, the blessed man is the one who delights in the word of the God. And no, notice what he says here in verse two. It says that on his law, he meditates day and night. 
I think that's a key, that's a key phrase here as we think about this. He's, he's not just talking about like doing a quick devotion, checking a box that I read my one chapter a day. He, he's saying there's something more here. He's meditating on it day and night. So hit, hit pause for a second. You may be here today and you might say, I read my Bible. Yeah, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Like my Bible is, is with me. It's in my bag or I've got it on my phone and I read it in the morning. I've got a regular routine of reading. Maybe it's a devotional that you read. It's got a couple verses and you've been doing that for a while. But if you're honest, I want you to just peel back the onion a little bit and ask yourself, are you dry? Like as you read God's word, does it stir up excitement in you? As you think about going to read or are you thinking, ah, I gotta do it. God wants me to do it. I said I'd do it. 21 days, I'm gonna do it. Or is there more to it than this? I, I wonder, would the reason that you say that you're not happy, content, straight with God, would the reason that you say that the Bible's kind of boring and dull, could it be that you're actually, you just don't know how to meditate on God's word? Now, meditate's a weird word. When I say meditate, what do you immediately think of? You think of, right? <laughs> you think of Eastern meditation. Now, Eastern meditation is this concept like, like yoga. Um, there, there's all kinds of Eastern meditations. You've got yoga, you've got Zen Buddhism meditation, you've got Hindu mantra meditation, and so many others. And the goal of any kind of Eastern meditation is to empty your mind. That's why, that's why you know, like you, make, you heard the noise, right? Right, whatever. Like you're trying to empty your mind. Christian meditation is different. What David's talking about here is different. What you're talking about with Christian meditation is you're trying to fill your mind. You're trying to fill your mind with God's word. David says in Psalm 119 that, God, I should hide your word in my heart so I would not sin against you. It's this idea that like we're intaking God's word. We're intaking the Bible inside of us and it changes who we are. It changes the way we live. So we meditate on that word to get it to impart itself into us. The, the Hebrew word for uh, meditate is hagah, pronounced dagah, H-A-G-A-H, and it means to moan, growl, utter, or muse. Let me hear a growl. Somebody give me a growl. Your scoffs were better. <laughs> because we're way better scoffers than growlers, but we can work on this. It's this picture of the growl, utter. Think of a cow, right? Anybody ever grow up on a farm? I know at least one of you did. So a cow chews cud. This is really gross, by the way, um, but a cow chews cud. So what a cow does is it's chewing its cud. I'm not really sure what cud is. Darren can tell us what cud is, but he's chewing cud. I'm assuming it's like grass and dirt and all kinds of stuff together. But what a cow does is it chews the cud, it swallows it, it gets mixed up with all those enzymes, and then he barfs it back up and chews on it more. And then he swallows it and it mixes with the enzymes and, you know, back and forth, right? Isn't that just sick? Cows are, cows are not little cute animals, right? This is why we eat them, right? This is why we love steaks and brisket. But think of that idea, right? So like, like the same idea with you and God's word, like you're, you, you, you're like regurgitating, right? You, like you, you read God's word, you chew on it, you swallow it, enzymes mix with it, comes back up, you chew on it a little more, that's the idea that David talks about here when it's meditating on God's word, 
We're constantly bringing it back up. We're looking at it from different angles. We're thinking about, we're asking the question, okay, Jesus, what does this mean? Where are you at in here? How does this impact me in my life? It's way more than just reading through a Bible verse. See, here's my, here's what I think really is going on. I think the reason a lot of us aren't excited about reading our Bibles, I think a lot of us who think of it as a chore, it's because we just read it and we put it down, right? You might say, okay, we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. Awesome. I'm going to read one chapter a day. This is great. And you read that chapter and you're like, okay, that was cool, right? And then what do you do? You get up, you go to work, you go turn on the game, you do your life, and you never actually had a chance to let that word make an impact on your life. And then you look and you, you merely forget what you, you read, and then you blame something else. And you go, well, I'm just not getting out of, a lot out of it because I have a short attention span. Or I'm just really not getting a lot of out of it because I just don't, the translation's not good. I just don't really understand the translation. Or I'm, I'm reading too fast or I was thinking of something else. But most likely the reason you aren't getting anything out of reading your Bible is because you're just reading it and you're not meditating on it. There is a big difference here in what Jesus, in what, what God is trying to tell us. And it's this, that the reason that we are, learning and growing in God's word isn't because our IQ is stronger or we have great memory skills or we just have a knack for loving literature. It's because we spend time meditating and intaking the word of God into our life. See, delighting God's word comes from intentionally spending time with God's word. You will never delight in this book if you look at it as a chore or a checklist item that you have to do because your pastor told you to or because your small group leader challenged you to. Until you start spending time with his word and chewing on and meditating it, you will never delight in it. And that's what David's challenging us to do. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, the more you read the Bible and the more you meditate on it, the more you'll be astonished by it. And if you are no longer being astonished by God's word, I would say it's because you're not spending the right amount of time with God's word. So you might, you might hear this and go, wait, I've never really meditated on God's word. What does that look like? Let me share with you. Meditating on God's word doesn't mean you stop reading God's word like you would. You can still read God's word, whatever, you know, one chapter, three chapters, whatever your plan is a day. But meditating on God's word is, by, is this idea that I'm going to slow down intentionally and I'm going to take a, a verse from the Bible and, and I'm going to meditate on it. So here, I'm going to give you a quick little example of how you can do this, okay? John chapter one. In, in John chapter one, you have a verse at the very end of the book. Uh, I'm sorry, of chapter one. And it talks about Jesus who comes, right? And he comes and he tents among us and he's the word of God. And it says this about Jesus. It says that, um, that Jesus comes to reveal the glory of God to us. Notice this. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, father full of grace and truth, okay? So the way to meditate on a Bible verse like that is to then look at that verse and spend time, say 60 seconds, reading that verse and focusing on different words. It's as simple as that. So for instance, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What does that mean? What does dwelt mean? It means he came and he lived 
He became flesh. What does that mean, the word, the word of God? He came and took on actual flesh. We called it concarne, remember? Christmas time, Jesus concarne, Jesus with me. He took on flesh, and we have seen his glory. What is glory? Glory is, is this idea of his beauty, his greatness, his power. We've seen his glory. It says that his glory is full of grace and truth. What is grace? God's grace is this unmerited favor that we didn't deserve. What is truth? Truth is this beautiful idea that, you know, all truth is God's truth. It's absolute truth. What God says is truth. And so you you see how you do that? It's just 60 seconds, or or, or you chew on a word, or you, you take that word glory, and you go look up what it means. It's as simple as that. There's nothing fundamentally difficult about meditating on God's word. The idea is, though, you slow down in your Bible reading, and you take, say, one minute, and you look at a verse like that, and you weigh the words. You put emphasis on different words. And here's what's interesting. Why don't you think about this? If you think about how much time you actually spend reading a verse, if I would have just read that verse, I would have spent, what, four seconds on that verse. But if I spend 60 seconds on that verse, now chewing on it, meditating on it, remembering, ruminating on it, I've now spent 20 times more time on that one verse than I would have any other situation. Does that make sense? So I'm taking it, I'm reflecting on it, I'm chewing on it. And what David says is, as we do that, we become blessed. We become like someone who is rooted in God's word. And through that, we become someone who is happy, contented, and straight with God. Notice the picture that David gives us. He says this. He says, the person that meditates on God's word, he becomes like a tree. She becomes like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. And in all that he or she does, it prospers. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Because you are rooted in God's word, you are drawing the nutrients for your life deep from the living water of Jesus. About a year ago, I was in Israel, and we were in Israel, and here's a group of us kind of hanging out. You see the stream behind us. When you think of Israel, you think of desert, and most of it is a desert. Galilee's beautiful. Up where Jesus lived, there's the Sea of Galilee, there's a lake, um, the Sea of Galilee, uh, Lake Tiberias, it's another word for it. Um, and and you, you go up there, and it looks like Northern California with rolling hills and little bushes and that kind of stuff, except it's, it's, a, little, it's a little drier but it's very dry. But then you move up north to a place called the Golan Heights and you cross over and all of a sudden everything gets green. So this is a river, this is a little stream actually that comes from the mountains in Northeast Israel that flows down and turns into the Jordan River. So it's really cool. So we're driving through dusty, dry area and then we turn right and all of a sudden we walk in and we see this, which was super cool. And then we walk up a few steps and that's our group. Notice all the trees behind us, just covered in trees for for miles. How come it's so green here and not where else? Why are there all these trees, but there aren't anywhere else? It's because the snow melts from the top of this peak in the Golan Heights, and the snow trickles down just like we have in Colorado and turns into these streams, which turns into the Jordan River, which feeds these beautiful trees whose roots are drawing nutrients from the water. See, that's the picture that God gives us of what it looks like when we're attached to his word. When we stay attached to his word, we are like that tree 
drawing its nutrients. We are like that tree planted by streams of water. And notice what he says, that when we are delighting in God's word because we're drawing our nutrients from the right source, it says that we are strong, that our leaves don't wither, and that all we do, we prosper. It's beautiful, isn't it? I think what God's saying is that true flourishing only comes by staying rooted in God's word. If you stay rooted in anything else, you're, you're going to always be left wanting. True flourishing comes by staying rooted in God's word. And I want you to notice the, the converse here. Notice what happens when you don't. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, the wicked are not so. Why aren't they so? Because they're not planted. They're not rooted. They're not drawing nutrients from a tree or from the stream like a tree. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Think about mowing your lawn. You got the little leaf blower. That wasn't a very good leaf blower. You know what I'm talking about? Sounds more like a weed eater. But yeah, so you're blowing the grass off your driveway, right? That's like the idea. Like chaff, chaff was the the, the actual um, husk that was on the wheat stalk that held the seeds for wheat. So you 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 know, the reaper would come to his thing and he'd get the, the weed and the chaff would just blow away. Or, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, live in Nebraska or Iowa or somewhere, there's lots of corn, same deal. That's the husk. And it's light and it blows away by the wind. The reality is if you are getting your guidance for life from culture or from the world or from Us Magazine, it is just gonna blow you away because it's the winds of culture and the world and you're gonna be dry and brittle and easy, easily manipulated by the winds of what God here calls the wicked. That's a pretty big contrast, wouldn't you agree? And the reality is when, when you're not rooted, when good times come, you're gonna, it's gonna be all about you. When you're in a good season, it's all about, man, I'm doing great. Man, I'm talented. And when bad times come, you're gonna be like, man, I'm doing terrible and it's all my fault. Or God, where are you in this time? And it's because you're not rooted to the word of God. Jesus in Matthew 4, we, we see this really cool picture of Jesus. Jesus basically, he, he, he gets baptized. It's kind of the public de- declaration. And we see that the Holy Spirit comes and descends on Jesus, signifying that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus, the Holy Spirit didn't come upon Jesus and, and empower Jesus to be the son of God. Jesus was the Jesus' spirit was the divine second person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus so people can go, that's him. John the Baptist goes, that's him. And we see Jesus' public ministry begin. And so Jesus, he, he goes and he, he goes out to the wilderness and he fasts. It's said that you can spend three days without water. You can spend three hours in exposure, super heat or super cold, or you can spend 40 days without any food. Like you actually can live 40 days without food. You have to have water. But at at day 40, your system shuts down. We see Jesus in the wilderness on day 40. System getting ready to shut down. Situation of death on the, the, the brink of death. And we see that the enemy, Satan, comes and tempts Jesus. Notice this, Matthew 4, and we're getting ready to wrap up. Matthew 4 says this, and Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Understatement of the millennium, right? He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, 
command these stones to become loaves of bread. Like the one thing he needed was food. He needed to eat. Now, Jesus is doing a lot in this situation, but I want to just point out one thing to you. Notice what he says. He says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is showing us that we don't just need to eat every day. We do. But we need God's word in our system. We need the intake of God's word in our system every single day. See, I would guess in this room that all of you every single day are trying to eat. I hope you are. I hope you're making plans to have breakfast. Chances are you've made plans next week at some point to do something for lunch. And if you're like our family, you're trying to map out plans for dinners. And so we kind of live around food. But do we live around God's word? Because it's that important to us. Now, don't stop eating, please. Don't like go 40 days without eating just so you can prove how strong you are. But God's word is that important. Here's the elephant in the room. Some of you are going, yeah, I know, but I've tried it and it's boring or I can't get past the book of Leviticus or whatever it, it is. And what I want to challenge you to say is that I want you to change the way you think and your intentions about how you approach God's word. See, here's where I want to wrap up with this, is that we are never going to experience the fullness, the richness, the deepness, the completeness that God has for you until you start finding yourself rooted in this. Every preacher is going to tell you, read your Bible. But what I'm telling you is God is saying that you are never going to be happy or content or straight unless you're rooted in this daily. Can you miss a day? Of course. I'm not, it's not legalistic. It's not... God's going to bless you if you read your Bible and he's going to curse you if you don't. No, it's, you can't, you just aren't going to experience what God has for you if you don't spend time in this word. And so what you need to do is to sink your roots deep into this word, however it works best for you. I was reading yesterday about a tree in the Echo Caves of South Africa. This is a fig tree. Here's a picture of it. Fig trees normally are about a meter to a meter and a half. So what's that? Three to four and a half feet deep in roots. This tree, it lives above a cave system. Its roots are 400 feet deep. This tree just continues. It's the deepest rooted tree in the world. This tree just continued to work around the cave system, got some water along the way to work its way to its source of water. This tree did not stop. This tree would have died. If you look around it, there's other little trees and little, see little scrub bushes and all that kind of stuff. But then it, if you just Google the, the wild fig tree and echo caves, and you're going to see this is the only tree. There's a palm tree. But this is the only tree of its kind in this area. And it's because this tree did whatever it could, made every effort it could to get its roots deep. And I think God is challenging you to do the same thing. There's going to be a million things that try to take your eye off of him. Culture is going to tell you that it doesn't matter. You're going to have all kinds of people saying all kinds of different things. But what God tells you is to plant yourself in the stream of his water, whatever it takes. So how do you do that? A couple quick thoughts and then we're done. First, you have to commit. You got to be intentional. You got to commit to reading your Bible every day. You can miss a day for sure, but you just got to make that intentional commitment. I'm going to read my Bible every day. Second, Here's what I would say. If you say, I can't get past the book of Exodus, Leviticus, then don't read it. 
Read it later. There'll be a day. Don't try to read the God. Don't start reading your Bible and go, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. How'd that work last year? (laughs) Start with the Gospels. You know, last year, I told you this guy's like 10 times, but I spent the whole year in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all I read last year. I read to them six times. And I feel like I grew so much closer to Jesus last year. I knew more. I just wanted to have a cup of coffee with Jesus in the morning. Start with the Gospels. Third, set a goal. How many chapters are you going to read? I like three. I think three is a good chapter. You can, you can read three chapters a day, meditate on God's word, and, pr- and spend time in prayer in 30 minutes a day. But you got to build a routine. So start with one. And then last, you got to meditate. Pick a word, pick a phrase, and just set an alarm on your phone for 60 seconds and chew on it and look at it and do whatever it takes to grow your roots deep. Because this is the promise that as we do, we'll be blessed. So forefront, if you can commit to doing this this year, your roots are gonna grow deep, you're gonna begin flourishing, and you're gonna start to see in your life joy, happiness, and contentment. And you're gonna be like that tree planted by the stream. And everything you do, you're gonna know that God is with you. Would you pray with me?